You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers as always. My name is Tony East. I cover the Pacers for Forbes and the West Side Community News, and today it's game day. We got Pacers, Bulls on the horizon. Usually I'd have a Bulls guest on to help me talk about this, but between the trade deadline and Easter and me being very busy at the end of a quarter with work stuff, I forgot to schedule a guest. I promise this will not happen again. So I'll talk about the Bulls on my own. The Pacers, Pacers have already played them twice. You guys kind of have a good grasp of who the Bulls are. And then I have two other topics I want to talk about today. Um, one is adjacent to the Drew Holiday extension in Milwaukee. Uh, Pacers-related extension topic surrounding Doug McDermott, actually. And then the play-in tournament. I want to talk about the structure of the play-in tournament and what it means. I have, a lot of people have asked about that, and it's different this year than last year. I don't think a lot of people know that. So we'll break that down because the Pacers are headed that way. But let's start with the Bulls. The game tonight, Pacers-Bulls. Bulls have not been looking pretty recently. Um, they have lost six in a row prior to their win over the Brooklyn Nets, ironically, um, two nights ago, but the Nets did not have any of their big three. Uh, the Bulls, 20 and 28, 10th in the East, so the spot behind the Pacers, 16th in offense, 21st in defense. But they beat the Pacers earlier this year, right? So talking about their record and their numbers means kind of little in analyzing how this game could go. We've seen the blueprint for the Bulls to beat the Pacers. These teams have played twice. And talking about the December game is hilarious because if you look at the December game, two guys combined for 45 points on the Pacers. You want to know who they were? Victor Oladipo and TJ Warren. Uh, they are not playing, obviously, in this game. So that has little bearing. Uh, this was when Aaron Holiday was playing more than TJ McConnell. Uh, Jill McHugh played in that game. Like it, it, it was a blast from the past, and it was this season. It's kind of wild how much... Things have changed for both teams, really. I mean, even the Bulls um, box score is pretty funny. as the Pacers' second game of the season. So that's kind of irrelevant. The second game, the Bulls did not have Vucevic yet. Uh, so it's still not that helpful. They had Cornette in their rotation. Um, stuff, stuff like that. But it's a little better of a barometer. But I think the only important thing to note from that second game, the one that the Bulls won, which is a little closer to the rosters, we'll see, is that Zach Levine just killed the Pacers, right? 30 points, game-tying shot, got it done in overtime. Bulls outscored the Pacers by five with them on the court. Sometimes it's that simple. They won by eight, so they still outscored the Pacers with him off the court, but obviously that's silly. You know, he was the driving force. Kobe White was also ridiculous in that game, as was Garrett Temple. But Zach Levine was awesome, and the, the, the weird thing about that game was there was no McDermott, and this was when... Uh, Edmund Sumner was still not really established in Bjorkren's rotation. So they started TJ McConnell and Malcolm Brogdon, right? Two of their better defending guards, although Sumner's better than McConnell, but you get the idea. And they still got torched by White and Levine. So I think that the starting point for the Pacers in trying to win this game, which has huge tiebreaker implications, huge record implications, the Bulls are the team right behind them in the fight for playoff spots and seeding and play in seeding. They got to do better against Levine. Levine only had 17 when these guys played in December. And again, I don't want to draw back too much on that game because they had Oladipo and Warren, who are good perimeter defenders. But 
you know, they, they, they slowed down Levine. They were able to easily win. Obviously, Vucevic opens up the floor for a lot of stuff with him in pick situations and off the ball even a little bit. So it's hard to just slow down Zach Levine, but they have to apply a little more resistance. He had nine rebounds, six, or excuse me, three offensive rebounds as well. The second most on the Bulls. That cannot happen. So the Pacers have to do a better job slowing him down if they want to beat the Bulls tonight. Uh, Brogdon is questionable with his hip pain. Uh, so that's a big factor. If he can't play, they'll definitely be sticking Sumner on him. Sumner's probably going to start again if if Brogdon cannot go. Karras cannot guard him. Karras will probably put on Kobe White. But Kobe White played well, too. Remember, he had 19 points, 8, eight assists, and 7 rebounds. He almost had a triple-double. He was plus 16 in 43 minutes and 41 seconds, right? He almost played the whole game, and the Pacers got destroyed when he was in the game. So that's that's tough, too. Right, he's a good player. He can. He's really streaky. If he's hot, he's super hard to guard, and if he's off, he's super easy to guard. You just let him do his thing. So, I think the the step one here for the Pacers is try to slow down Zach Levine. I know that sounds like obvious, but you know he he's so important for the Bulls in that you know he's got the passing at a higher level now. He's a playmaker. He can create his own shot from literally anywhere. Make junk him up a little more. Right, they they do this every every against these these creators they, they send the traps at him send the traps at Levine if Kobe White's having a hot game maybe you just lose right they, when they lost last time it took Garrett Temple being really hot and Thaddeus Young being really hot both of them to get to overtime right Be, they got to force the ball out of Levine 10s and make those guys have that kind of game again you know Garrett Temple's out that's a big switch uh Thad starts now but he he you know he's having a fantastic season he was six for eight when the Bulls beat the Pacers back in February Expecting Thad to shoot that well again is not smart. Even if he's going to do a bunch of other awesome stuff, he's passing ridiculously well this year. He's battling on the glass. He had five offensive rebounds. He's an elite defender. Expecting him to shoot six for eight is not something you would do. So I would just, I think the Pacers are going to do what they did against, you know, guys like Luca and Steph and guys, you know, we've seen it a million times. They're going to rush the ball handler often, make him give it up and make someone else beat you. You know, Vooch has not historically he's he's had good games against the Pacers, but he hasn't historically ever killed them or like transformed the game. So maybe they try to slow him down four on three for a little bit, make him make reads. I think that's how they'll try to make the Bulls beat them, is just not let Levine do what he did last time because that shot to send it to overtime was killer. From the Pacers perspective, they got a lot from Sabonis. You know, he got to line fourteen times. The the Vooch is good, but he's not a good post defender. Sabonis, questionable. He did not practice uh, on Monday, he was able to do some stuff in the weight room and was walking around. So I'd call that a heavy questionable myself, but his official designation is questionable. I kind of doubt he plays. But anyway, he was bullying these centers, Wendell Carter, occasionally um, Larry Markinen. Uh That was two games ago, not the last game. He did not play the last game. Thad can't really guard him in the post, right? So they, that's where the Pacers can get advantage. But if Sabonis isn't playing, you know, they'll have to count on Turner to do some of that stuff. We all know Turner is not the the post bully to handle that kind of stuff. Turner was two for 10 the last time these guys played. So that's an area they can take advantages inside, especially when Vooch is out, but it's, it's tough. Um, it'll be tough if Simonis doesn't play, but he was really carrying them last time. He had 10 rebounds, 25 points, five assists. He was special. Brogdon had 23, but he took 25 shots, right? He was really off in that game. So they don't need more from him. McConnell really carried them. You know, that was his tied for career high 19 points. We know he can do well against this Bulls team. They don't have good defending guards. So I think just in general, on the flip side of slowing down Levine, the Pacers really need to get going uh, with their own guards. Karras especially can have a nice game. They don't have the, the good 
guard to defend him kind of guy. So, you know, if Karras, Brogdon, or McConnell, any or all of them can have a good game, this could go well. But really, when you enhance the Bulls' stats, something that stands out to me, they're second to last in the league in turnovers. They turn it over a lot. So I think rushing Levine, making Kobe White make plays, making some of their other young guys make plays is a smart strategy. Make them cough it up a lot. Try to run in transition and beat them that way. Do not let Levine just get into his rhythm and get to his bag and get to his spots. It sounds so easy. That's impossible to do. If teams could just do that, they would do it. But I think that's what you have to try to do. And Bjorkren loves to schematically, aggressively attack these awesome scorers to try to take them out of their game. I think that's what the Pacers will try to do. I think there's a smart strategy. If Vucevic destroys you, then Vucevic destroys you. If that East Young shoots 6 of 8 again, that just happens. You just lose, right? That's how the NBA goes. But you'd rather bet on that than let Zach Levine cook you again. So it's tough. They're better than their record, I think. And they have a good coach. They're, an, you know, they're a solid team. But... The Pacers can win this, but I have no reason to ever pick them in a game as of right now. They're wildly inconsistent. I don't know who's going to play. So I feel like the Bulls probably take the I – mean, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I mean, the, neither of these teams have any consistency. Um, but this would be a very nice win for the Pacers to get two in a row, uh, clinch the tiebreaker over the Bulls. Uh, they can hang around in that plan for a little longer, which uh, – you know what? Let's talk about that next as a segue before we talk about McDermott contract extension rules and such. So just to, to say it, I'll say it's a 50-50 game. It's a toss-up. Pacers suck at home this year, so I guess pick the Bulls if you're a betting person. But let's take a little break, talk about two awesome groups of people, and then talk about what the playing tournament looks like this year and why that could matter for the Pacers. So first, let's talk about Locker Room, something that me and Adam have been t- testing out a lot recently. This episode brought to you by Locker Room, the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes themselves, and insiders. Mark Stein's on there. Um, I think Miles Turner did a locker room one time in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'm going to do it on Thursday, uh, the day between the Timberwolves and Magic Games, so come check it out. Locker room's the perfect place to start or join conversations about the NBA. You'll find fans just like you on Locker Room for watch parties, debates, and breakdowns. You'll have a chance to chat with me and others, and you might even be able to feature on the Lockdown Pacers locker room. You can just let you on the stage to talk. It's super fun. Uh, AJ Reese has been joining us on stage quite a bit. Uh, we've gotten a lot of good conversations out of that. So join me this week on Thursday. Go download the free Locker Room app right now, currently on all iOS devices. Be sure to create a profile, link to your Twitter, join the group you want, and check it out. I know you don't want to miss it. Again, I'll be live Thursday, so come check that out. And, of course, got to talk about the same people as yesterday who are the best place to buy parts for your car, rockauto.com, with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's crazy these days. It's impossible to stock all the parts that are needed at a traditional chain storefront. So why even go there? Just go to rockauto.com. They're a family business online serving auto parts customers for over 20 years, and they'll have everything you'll need for your car or truck right there on their website. Whether it's your classic or a daily driver, get everything you need in just a few easy clicks, and they'll deliver it right to your door. Their catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle. Best of all, their prices are always reliably low. So why would you go somewhere else? Just go to rockauto.com, see everything they have for your car or truck right Locked on in their How Did You Hear Us box and know that we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. All right, the playing tournament. No one likes to talk about it. It's kind of sucky to be in. Your whole season hangs in the balance of two games. I sort of hate this structure, but I don't think people know what it is this year and what happens if you don't do well in it <laughs> or if you do do well in it, really. So it's, it's different than last year. Uh, how it works is like this. 
If you are the seven or eight seed, you play a game <laughs> against the other one of those teams. It is the seven seed versus the eight seed in one game, and the eight seed, or excuse me, and the nine seed versus the ten seed in the other game. I'm I had a graphic up, and for some reason my computer closed. Out. There we go. So if you are eighth, you play seven, and I think the seventh seed hosts that game. Yes, that's correct. And then the ninth seed hosts the tenth seed in the. It's just called the nine ten game. That doesn't matter. So if you're in the 9-10 game and you lose that, you're just out, right? So let's say the season finishes right now. The Pacers are currently 9, so they would host the Bulls in the 9-10 game. Uh, and if they lose to the Bulls in one game, regardless of what happened the rest of the season, this is why I hate the plans to tournament, but anyway, if they lose that game, they're out. The 7 seed hosts the 8 seed. The winner of that game, of the 7-8 game, is the 7 seed in the playoffs, okay? So if the 8 seed beats 7, 8 goes to the 7 seed. The loser of that 7-8 game drops back and plays the winner of that 9-10 game, okay? So let's say the Pacers beat the Bulls, and the 7-8 game right now would be uh, Knicks-Celtics with the Celtics hosting. Let's say the Celtics win that. The Pacers would play the Knicks in New York. Winner gets the 8 seed, okay? So if you're in the 9-10 game, like the Pacers are right now, you cannot get the 7 seed. The tournament structure does not allow you to get the 7 seed. You have to win twice to get the 8 seed, and have the honor of playing whoever the one seed is. Likely going to be the Nets there currently first as the Sixers lost to the Grizzlies the other night. So it's a tough style because your whole season hangs on one or two games, right? Like let's say Bubble TJ Warren shows up. Obviously he's out for the season and he won't. But, you know, any like any one guy having the, the week of his life gets a team in or out of the playoffs despite what happened the whole season. I kind of think that sucks. Last year's play-in tournament did not incentivize such a structure. But anyway... That's how it works. So the uh, the the if you're eighth or seventh, you have two lives, and that's kind of a big deal for teams that want to be in the playoffs or have been growing that way or have goals of winning. And being in the eight seven allows you to have the uh, you know you could end up playing two different teams, right? The Nets are going to destroy anyone, but if you have the option to get seven and play the Sixers or Bucks, you'll probably lose anyway. If you're the Pacers or any of these other teams, but you might be able to take a game off those teams in a way that you would not against a team that has Durant, Harden, and Kyrie. So that's appealing as well. If you would like to do better in the playoffs and see what your team can do in a postseason setting, you get more to evaluate should you hit the 7-8 and win that one game. So that it kind of favors streaky teams, right? Like if you're the Hornets who take a bunch of threes, you're more likely to be able to pull an upset in a play-in game structure. Whereas if you're a team that takes less threes, like the Knicks, um, you're not as likely to be able to do it. So the other question people ask me, if... You make the 9-10 in the play-in, and then to make the playoffs, are you in the lottery? No. If you become a playoff team, you are not in the lottery, okay? So you have to not be – the play-in tournament is called something separate from the playoffs. It's kind of hard to describe that verbally um, when describing the structure. But let's say the Pacers are in the 9-10 with the Bulls, and then they win twice and they get the 8 seed. They would not be in the lottery despite being the 9 seed at the end of the season, they would be the 15th or 16th pick and no lottery there. Whereas if they're the eighth seed or seventh seed and they lose twice, they would be in the lottery. So understand that that is confusing, that you can be as high as the seventh seed, but uh, still be in the lottery if you know things fall apart and you, you have a terrible two games or you play against Bubble T.J. Warren. Um, so that is kind of interesting to me. Um, 
the way the lottery is a factor there. So pe- people keep saying, you know, the best of both worlds. The pitcher should go for nine, try to make the playoffs and still get a lottery pick. Well, no, you can't get both. It's not possible. That's not how it works. So that's the play-in tournament structure. I hate it. Um, my fear was is not going to happen. My fear was that something would happen where, like, the seven seed is awesome. Uh, this might happen in the West slightly. So yeah, the seven seed Dallas Mavericks are awesome, right? They're about to, they're close to winning sixty percent of their games. The eight seed Grizzlies are like a five hundred team, and those team, those two teams will have the same lo- amount of lives in this plan. I think that sucks. If I think if you're so far ahead of the other teams in the plan structure, you should not have to be a part of this. Like they should reward the seventy-two game sample instead of making you play two games like let's say Kyle Anderson could go four for four from three in the math season just over like that that seems dumb to me especially like the Warriors are are seven games behind the Mavs why should they even be rewarded with a one game opportunity to knock them out of the playoffs why even play the other 72 it's stupid but that's how it works this year and the Pacers are headed that way uh, a lot of projections predict the Pacers to finish anywhere from seven to nine at this point. Some get them getting them as high as six. They have a pretty easy remaining strength of schedule, although we saw that that didn't do anything for them uh, last year. But uh, yeah, so that's the play-in structure uh, that you got to focus on if you are the Pacers. You got to think about it. But I don't want to talk about the play-in structure anymore. Um, just I'll refer back to this pod for the rest of the season if people ask me about it. Let's take one more break, talk about the awesome people over at betonline.ag before we talk about Doug McDermott contract extension stuff. So BetOnline, the official betting sponsor of the Lockdown Podcast Network and the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Hope you got your money on Baylor. Uh, Football might be over, but the NBA and NHL and baseball, now baseball, in full swing, my Philly still undefeated. Uh, You can get in on all the action there on BetOnline. They've even got TV shows, reality TV and all that. Real-time updated odds and props on anything you can imagine. And they've got you covered for all the news, scores, and odds that you desire. Best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. Head over to that website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today. You'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, at checkout. That's betonline.ag. Your online sportsbook experts. Okay, so for those who missed this news, the reason I wanted to talk about McDermott today, Drew Holiday signed a four-year, $160 million extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. That is deceiving. He has hella bonuses in that contract, like $25 million in bonuses. It's really four for 135 base salary. It's not a crazy overpay. They had to do it to keep him. Whatever. That doesn't matter. This is a Pacers show. So Drew got extended. Uh, that probably could have happened earlier this season, honestly. But for a lot of teams and guys who are extension eligible, they wait till after the trade deadline because if, the, you know, if they end up dealing the guy, they can't extend him. Obviously, the extension rules change if you're traded. So in the McDermott extension, any talk the Pacers might have had of extending him would have waited Probably tied to the trade deadline, considering he's on an expiring contract, and there were a lot of reports. ESPN, Indy Star, The Athletic, that you know potentially he was being sniffed around by other teams. I asked him deadline day. He said he hadn't heard anything from the front office about him potentially being dealt, and that he likes the Pacers and he can see himself here for a while. Doesn't mean he will be here for a while. That just you know he likes the Pacers. So McDermott is contract extension eligible because he signed a three-year deal originally with the Pacers. So that means. For the rest of the season and up to free agency, right? Even into June, 
he could sign an extension. So the Pacers could wait till they have more intel about free agency to do something like this. But it could behoove them to do it now and have their own cap sheet, have more clarity heading into free agency, and know their needs even more. And with a good shooter, sometimes it makes sense, especially when he's slumping. So anyway, the Pacers can offer McDermott an extension right now. And now that the trade deadline is over, I would like to ask him. We haven't had a good practice availability with McDermott to do this. But I would like to ask him if he's had any of these talks with the team. So here's the, the money situation. He can be offered a uh, 120-ish percent bump over league average salary uh, in the first year of an extension, which would be just shy of $12 million in the first year. Uh, and he could get 8% raises a year. And then his maximum deal at the end of the full extension could be five years. He has this year on his contract counts for that. So the biggest his extension could be in total, when you put all that together, is four years, basically $54 million in addition to what he's owed the rest of this season. So that is pretty close to me. You know, Joe Harris just got four for whatever, 75, 80. I forget the exact number. A lot. Bertans got five for 80. Those two last year, last year, that this is important. Those two last year were ridiculously good shooters. Joe Harris, the year before his extension, six three-point attempts per game, 42.4% from deep. This year, he's at 6.7% and 42, 48.2. Ridiculous numbers now that he has stars to set him up and give him the easiest attempts ever. But he went for a premium. Bertans, nine attempts per game, 42.4% last year, right? So these high attempt, mid 40% shooters pulled in in the mid teens per year. McDermott was that was the percentage two years ago, 43.5%, but he's only taking four a game. And he's never, he's only been a, that about that level one other time before, 2017-18 uh, season, on less than three attempts per game. This year he's at 4.5 attempts per game and 38.6% from the field. So he's not the level of shooter those guys are, so he's not worth as much. Um, as those guys are. And Harris has a similar cutting slash, you know, one dribble game off of screens that, that McDermott does. McDermott's is better than Joe Harris in that way, but he's a much worse shooter than Joe Harris. So those guys set the value for shooters very high. They're the elite shooters, though. And McDermott, if you have to use his three seasons with the Pacers, let's just use all three of his seasons with the Pacers, right? That is 3.7 three-point attempts per game, 41.3% from deep. That's pretty good, and that's close to the level of of Bertans and Harris. So I bet McDermott's going to want more. I bet he's going to want something in free agency in the 5 for 60 to 70 range, which is a lot. I bet the Pacers would not pay him that. But 4 for 54, if you think he can maintain his level of three-point shooting for the rest of his career, and I don't know why he can't. You know, he he's a great shooter off the catch. The, the issue is his, if his movement declines into his 30s, because he's 29 now, he'll turn 30 next season, some of that little dribble drive stuff could go away. But, you know, he could do that into his 30s. Kyle Korver did that in his early 30s, kept his mobility no problem. So if McDermott would take four for 54, that's an interesting value construction that I think is not bad value that you'd have to consider offering as the Pacers. Now, the flip side is, right, Suddenly you have all that money on the books for many seasons. And then if you want to re-sign TJ Warren or sign Warren to an extension even, you are a little more cap-strapped dealing with the tax. Or if you want to sign, eventually, guys like Miles Turner to an extension or Malcolm Brogdon to an extension or Goga or whoever, a, a litany of guys who 
will want to make more money at some point down the line. Sumner next year. Edmund Sumner next year will be due for an extension. If you want to talk about giving those guys extensions, having McDermott on the books makes that a lot harder to do because you have more money on the books. You're sniffing the tax. You have to consider more things or you have to get someone else's money off the books. And thinking about a McDermott extension was part of the reason I would have shopped Jeremy Lamb so hard at the trade deadline, if you'll recall. But anyway, the machinations are that McDermott can be offered basically anything uh, starting at his current salary and up to about $12 million in the first season and anything from, um, from one year to four years in length. I do not think that age will really hurt his game a ton. He is very little in the athleticism department. So the years is not a big deal. But you know you have to worry that you know this year his shooting from three is down. You have to think about that kind of stuff. So it could be a lucky opportunity to buy low. If you take like four for 45 or 40 or something because he's not shooting well, you definitely have to consider it. But that's close. You know, four for 54 is probably close to what he's going to fetch as a really good shooter this offseason. You know, we just saw how much it, it, shooting is valued at a premium last free agency. So I think the Pacers could think about that deal if McDermott would, would accept it. I don't know if he would or not. I would love, again, I would love to ask him about extension talks, and I probably will the next time he's available in a practice setting. Maybe if they get a win, uh, a convincing win, and the game isn't really the story, I could do it after a game. I'll sneak it in. You guys will know. But I think it's important to talk about what he could fetch um, now that extension season is really upon us since the trade deadline is passed, and he's the only uh, extension-eligible pacer until July or August 1 or whenever the new league season starts. So I think it's something the Pacers should consider. You know, that he's their best shooter. They do not have enough shooting on this team right now. So locking up shooters is good. You know, if they lose a shooter this offseason, I mean, who, the two-center experiment with less shooters would be, I mean, their roster would be, in a little bit of disarray. So I think they'll they'll sniff it. I don't know. I think it would make some sense if they could come to an agreement. But I understand that, you know, with, again, big deals coming up for Warren, especially, and maybe some other guys, and not a ton of money coming off the books for a while, it's really risky to sign him to a long-term deal unless you're getting off some other money, right? If you know you can get off of someone else to free up the money to keep other guys, then maybe it's worth it. But it, it's definitely... You know, if, if you know that signing McDermott to an extension precludes you from keeping one of Warren or Sumner, then you don't do it. You just don't do it. So they know more intel than me, but I'm just explaining the things that the team has to think about and the cat machinations. I hope that was interesting. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I'll be curious to see how the team handles that if they do it all. I would love to do some digging to figure out what sort of talks they've had. But anyway, thank you guys for listening. This Bulls game tonight should be super fun this week. Big one for the Pacers. Some easy opponents, chance to get to near or at 500. If they take advantage, that'd be huge. And then we don't have to talk about the play-in tournament hardly at all. So we'll see what happens. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Adam will be on recap duty tonight. Thank you guys again for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.